Welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. Hunting aggressively in late October comes with its risks, but it may be what's needed to get that buck that you've been chasing. All right, welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. Thank you for listening as always. Thank you for tuning in. So yeah, so in this episode, I'm going to do a breakdown of basically some of the ta- the newer tactics that I've been doing this year. Uh, again, being much more aggressive than in years past. And so far, it's been working out in my favor now. You know, I certainly have been battling with getting in the right area, getting deer in front of me, but just not being able to capitalize on that, which I will discuss more in detail a little bit later here. But during late October, I feel is a, a excellent time to make some aggressive moves when it comes to uh, you know chasing a particular mature buck or just getting on deer if you haven't been seeing them earlier in the season. But before we get into it, make sure you hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, share the show with your friends. If you want a little bit more, if you want to explore a little bit more of what uh, the show has available, head on over to mihoneypodcast.com. Check out the full library of content available. So all of the podcasts as well as every video that is released is on the website as well. And if you want uh, to gain a little bit or to gain additional uh, access, become a member. Your membership supports this show directly as well as grants you access to a monthly live show, discounts to everything in the store, and a members-only giveaway. So let's get into the topic I can. So this year, like I've said, it's been uh, quite an experience of making a lot of uh, moves that I hadn't done in the past. So uh, there's kind of a combination of kind of a balance between um, my areas I hunt on, on public land as well as the private piece. So a lot of these uh, maneuvers I've been making, you know, they really only pertain to uh, what I've been doing on public land. You know, certainly with the the size of the parcel and kind of what my goal is down on the private piece, you know, with my food plots and my stand placement, you know, that place, you know, I'm not going to be very aggressive in regards to, uh, you know, pushing into areas, you know, kind of areas I kind of designate as my sanctuary areas or areas that are deemed, you know, bedding essentially. You know, with that smaller parcel, you know, you're not really you're not able to really chase down the deer. Now you could, uh, you know, with some scouting and whatnot being done, you could, you know, potentially determine that, you know, maybe where you had set up your stand, you know, during the off season, it's not necessarily the right spot and feel like you have to move it uh, to make sure you're in the game, especially as we get closer to uh, the rut time frame. You know, certainly that type of move would be, you know, one that would be, you know, I would advise in that regard to, you know, what you had for your permanent stand. If it's not in the right location, if you know that that area is just a dud and you're just not going to get the movement or not get the deer in range, then that would certainly be the move that you should make. And, you know, it all depends on, you know, how much disturbance you think that's going to cause on whether or not you should move that in season or just kind of chuck that one as a loss and then and during the offices and make that move later you know that's for you to decide really in that regard 
a lot of these moves that I've been uh, making again have been on on public land, and you know I talked about this in previous episodes as well, where you know some of the spots that I would hunt would be I would consider you know kind of a safe spot, you know on the edge of a clear cut or you know maybe near a pocket of oaks, kind of in like a transition area. And, you know, those are great spots. I mean, where on, especially in big woods, where that's where it's going to be a concentration of deer. And, you know, certainly a viable, uh, you know, way to, you know, approach this, approach those areas and hunt deer. You know, I kind of chalk it up to uh, kind of two different styles of hunting, where I, I kind of dubbed it kind of the passive hunting as well as active hunting. Uh, I call it passive, but it's... I don't really like that term, I guess it makes it sound more negative, but it, but it's really, you know, not a, uh, trying to make a dig at that style of hunting, you know, that where you set up in an area that's, you know, known travel corridor or, uh, just a known area where you're going to get deer that are going to come through, you know, that's certainly a, you know, a tried and true way to hunt. I mean, most of the deer that I have harvested, you know, have been harvested in that manner. One thing I have noticed is that even if a spot is really good, it has a lot of deer sign and you have a scrape or buck rubs or something like that, that sometimes those areas can be inconsistent in regards to how often the deer come through, time of day, and then basically kind of their, their direction of travel, really. You know, a prime example is, you know, the one I've discussed again, where I was on the edge of a clear cut, a buck came through basically out of the clear cut heading into the timber. And then, so I, I made a, a little bit of a move over to that end of the clear cut where he was. Next time I saw him, he was basically out where he came out of the, the timber into the clear cut, basically right next to where I was sitting the, the time before. And it just seemed like that, like that cone shape of movement uh, was just a little too wide, it, you know, if it was during rifle season or something like that, it would have been no problem. But during bow season, you know, it just keeps those deer basically kind of keep you guessing as to uh, where you can set up to where you can get a shot based on, you know, their direction of travel. So that's why, again, in this location, I decided that for this year, after doing some, you know, out of season or off season scouting to push into the timber more and try to, you know, fine tune where those deer are coming from. You know, again, that was something that I talked about where, you know, being just a little more aggressive, getting in there a little bit deeper, you know, a little bit higher risk of potentially bumping deer coming in there. You know, you're going into the timber where they could be potentially uh, bedding. A lot of times you'll find there's a lot more trails that kind of crisscross intersect throughout there. So you could have deer that are coming from kind of unknown directions or, you know, you're going to have a hard time not crossing over a deer path to get to where your destination stand is. So that's that kind of that more active uh, approach that I'm kind of taking where, you know, basically even with that, now I find myself a couple different encounters with a buck. You know, the first one I had set up, there was a known kind of community scrape that I had a camera. I've gotten good camera intel indicating that there was lots of does using it, smaller bucks, and then this big wide, you know, essentially eight pointer came through and I moved in on him thinking that he was going to use that main trail along the scrape. 
he ended up taking another path and busted me at about 10 yards basically came right out underneath me through the cover and never got my opportunity at him from there i ended up moving and switching to basically another tree you know only probably about 20 yards from where that uh, encounter or where my previous stand was basically giving me an shot opportunity at that trailer that buck used as well as i could still see the scrape uh, off in the distance it was about 42 yards but there was some brush and limbs in the way that i can't shoot through or shoot at that scrape anymore but i can shoot a little bit further off to the side the trail that that scrape is on so kind of gave up a little bit of ground in regards to being able to shoot that scrape but put me in a better position to where that deer is less likely to get behind me now unfortunately you know just this morning i sat in that spot again climbed up in that tree another thing that i considered when setting up is uh, being able to get a little bit higher up in the tree so i did add um, some aiders to my climbing sticks just to get me another you know three or four feet higher you know making sure i'm well out of basically that line of sight for a deer as it's walking through so and if you listen to the previous episode from when that buck uh, spooked out of that area for that first time i, I had an encounter with him he basically kind of looped out at around like 50 60 yards out and behind me uh, behind some cover and then headed out to the direction that he was going so the goal was to try to uh, basically kind of make sure that he didn't get behind me as well as try to hopefully be able to get a shot uh, again off closer to that timber or that cover that was behind behind me in the first place to where if a deer did go back that direction I could still get a shot as I had seen uh, some does traveling back back behind that cover uh, on previous hunts as well so on this morning's hunt you know basically anticipating that either a deer is going to come out on that main trail where the scrape is or hopefully that buck was going to take the same path that he did the first time i saw him cross in front of me at about 10 yards unfortunately that's not what ended up happening so this morning that buck as well as a smaller um he kind of looked like he was kind of beat up a little bit, but he might have been like a small eight pointer or something like that. Uh, they basically came through uh, behind me yet again, uh, taking another trail up behind that cover. Unfortunately, they got into a spot where where they were going. I didn't really have a good shot opportunity. There was just too much brush and stuff in the way. You know, finally, when they did pause behind uh, a little bit of cover. They end up kind of taking a couple steps back um, behind, you know, basically kind of heading back the direction they came from. So from there, I was able to kneel down a little bit in anticipation that if they were to step back out one way or the other, that now that was a lower, you know, advantage point, I could sneak an arrow through. Unfortunately, uh, you know, these, <laughs> at least this deer anyways, uh, he seems to be uh, one step ahead of me. He actually walked directly away behind the cover um, and he was actually uh, quiet enough where I was unsure even if he had left in the first place. You know, as they were coming in, I could hear them, you know, stomping the leaves and whatnot. But when they left, it was really hard to tell as if they actually left or still were just milling around behind that cover a little bit. Ultimately, you know, ended up that they did take off. I did make a few uh, calls out in that direction to see if there was any response or anything spooked. Uh, but there was nothing. 
I guess one other really cool thing was uh, is one of the very first times I've actually heard a, a buck do a snort wheeze. Now, I don't know if it was ultimately the, the bigger of the two bucks. I'm assuming it was. But, you know, basically when they're behind the cover, I heard that, you know, the distinct sound of a snort wheeze, which was pretty cool to hear. Um, kind of one of the first times, especially, you know, having it, you know, not really be in the prime rut time where they're really going to be fired up. And the fact that they're kind of hanging out kind of surprised me that, you know, I heard that sound anyways, but it was pretty cool. And nonetheless, so basically in that hunt, you know, again, pushing into that spot and, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get the understanding that, uh, if you push into these areas where, especially where the deer are not used to being hunted, that sometimes even if you spook them so in the instance of that one where he caught the movement and he spooked out you know i feel as though that's not going to be a make or break for you where you know certainly my mindset in years past would be that if you end up spooking a deer like that then they're gone like they're not coming back but i'm starting to learn that it all depends on exactly how and when you uh spook them you know certainly I feel as though is that if they if they wind you if they catch your scent, then they're going to be far more likely to avoid the area now that they, you know, truly know what that was and you know, are going to avoid it. If they, especially if they hear you, if you if they don't really get a good look at you, and they only hear maybe you going through the leaves or if you break a stick or something like that, you know, those types of things happen all the time in the woods where you know there's going to be a certain noise, a certain you know, animal comes through, maybe it was another deer that can make that noise and, you know, put another deer on edge in that regard. If that's the case, then there's a good likelihood that those deer aren't going to go very far and you may get another opportunity. <clears throat> if you, you know, if they see you again, that's a little bit harder or a little bit more severe of a, um, a spook or a push, I guess you could say or bump, I guess, whatever you want to use the term. It may take them a little bit longer to come back from that, or, you know, it may not be as significant as you think. It all depends on the deer, of course. You know, there is some interesting or very um, telling data that came out of the MSU Deer Lab where they did track, you know, that uh, buck, uh, or how bucks react to hunter pressure. And they definitely, you know, basically what they end up coming up with or what they found was that uh, a buck is not no necessarily going to move less. So you, they're not going to spend necessarily more time uh, laying down or off their feet. What they are going to do is, you know, they basically the example was given is that if a, if a buck has, you know, will travel a mile in a day, you know, once they feel any hunter pressure, they're still going to move about that same mile but they're just going to do it in a much smaller area. So uh, I don't remember the exact term that they use. They have a scientific term for what it's called. But basically, you know, they're going to have their, you know, their full range or their, their home range, we'll say. And then they get spooked or they feel some hunter pressure. And then they're going to condense that down into that smaller core area or a, a smaller area where they feel more secure. So they're going to, again, more than likely end up sticking around to, uh, areas that are you know high stem count higher denser cover and they will move you know they're, they'll they'll do their daily movement within that area instead of their full range so i think that if you get into 
Like if you're able to push into where more of that core range or tighter into that, you know, or pierce into that home range a little bit further, spook or that bump, you know, they'll feel it, but then it's still going to be within the area that they feel very comfortable with. So again, with this area, it is very dense, very thick cover. And I think that, you know, even though I end up having that encounter where that buck did spook, he did basically stay around in the area. Now, the one thing I did notice too, is that the fact that he went up further away from that main trail that he had that negative encounter with, with me, I think that is a little bit telling that he was still a little hesitant to walk down that trail, but not going to abandon the area altogether. So that was something that, you know, I thought could be the case that he would just circle a little bit further out. Again, I miss judge on my ability to be able to shoot that direction if they did kind of circle out or kind of take a, a wider you know path around that area so you know certainly going forward this is going to be something i'm going to take in consideration that if i end up uh, spooking a deer or bumping a deer where i'm at that potentially you know moving 40 50 60 yards uh, from that area to where another area where that deer may feel safer uh, crossing through. So they're still going to want to travel through there. It's just now they're going to might avoid that area. So you just kind of circle around a little bit to cut them off where they think you're not going to be this time and, you know, potentially capitalize in that regard. You know, if I'd done a little bit better, uh, you know, surveying of the area, I might've been able to anticipate that a little bit better and would have you know gotten a shot this morning. So another instance, again, of being more aggressive is I started doing this a little bit more last year was basically on my way out, scouting my way out, or uh, basically, you know, kind of surveying the area as I walk back to the truck. This year, I've taken that to the next step of doing a lot more in-season scouting. Even when it comes to, uh, you know, after a hunt. So another good example is, uh, again, on another spot where I've got some camera intel of a really nice, heavy framed uh, eight pointer. Basically, it's coming from uh, you know an old uh, overgrown egg field, cutting through the cover, and then heading up a very steep uh, embankment up to a bedding area. Basically, what I ended up doing was trying to capitalize on that movement. There was a lot of uh, rubs that kind of funnel down to this main trail that head up to the hill and then also I end up doing a mock scrape and now it's become quite the community scrape where you know I started out basically like I kind of made like a little three foot diameter uh, scrape with a licking branch over top now it's opened up to almost a five foot diameter uh, scrape where a lot of the you know does are checking out and then almost every buck that comes through either you know messes with the ligand branch or actually is pawing at the ground uh, and basically maintaining that scrape for me. Ultimately, I got a picture of that buck. It was about 8 a.m., probably about a week, week and a half ago now. And so I figured, you know, he came through with a north wind the day after significant rain, which we had that over the course of the weekend. So I went in there thinking that, you know, maybe he's going to repeat that that movement. Ultimately, the only thing that I saw that morning was a doe first thing in the morning, uh, even before shooting light. So I end up, you know, I've ran in this situation before, uh, hunting at my mom's place where, 
you know, it was just, a, it was a travel corridor where I had a lot of good bucks coming through. The problem was, is that if, you know, it was a smaller parcel, so I was limited on, you know, I was, I had to solely rely on the deer to come through within shooting light. More often than not, especially as we got later into the season and, you know, that daylight window started to shrink, those deer would just start, you know, showing up you know, before, before shooting light and I would not get an opportunity. So from, from this spot, you know, knowing that, uh, that is the potential. Now I could certainly stick in that spot and just kind of wait it out and knowing that sooner than later, or at some point, I guess I should say that deer would probably come back down through that trail during daylight and I would get an opportunity. Part of the issue was, is that you know, if I stuck it out, I could probably make it happen, but I'm just kind of sitting there and, you know, putting the ball in the, in the deer's court where basically they get to determine if that's going to happen or not. So what I ended up doing was, so ultimately what I decided to do is I was going to circle around and get up into that bedding area where I suspected that buck was bedding or that there may be other deer bedded up in the area as well. So circled around downwind found a uh, an area where i could at least climb this hill it is very steep and i don't even know how many feet of elevation difference it is but it's quite a bit was able to sneak up into there without making too much noise or too much racket basically ended up dumping a lot of my gear left my backpack down at the base hill climbed up with just my bow and my bino harness my rangefinder and headed up as i suspected once i got up there things were um, basically prime for uh, deer to be bed in there. It was a lot thicker and uh, there's still so much vegetation up there, a ton of deadfalls. So there's lots of sunlight they got in there. So a lot of understory growing up in there. You know, last time I was up there uh, was last year in December when there was snow and it was definitely looked a lot more open at that time or that time of year. Whereas now it definitely was far more, you know, grown in where it, it looked prime for you know deer to be bedding up there as I suspected. So from there, basically I wanted to check a few of these different points. There's, there's a lot of little you know valleys and holes in this up on this up on top of this ridge here. So started making my way slowly through, basically just doing like a still hunt, just kind of creeping my way through, trying to be as quiet as possible, keeping the wind in my you know as much in my face as I can. You know, basically it was kind of like a uh, a north northwest wind and i was basically coming from uh you know essentially coming from the east so basically allowing that that wind to be in my favor more so that my scent wasn't certainly blowing you know ahead of me to where you know maybe i could you know see a deer or even potentially get a shot opportunity at deer uh, before they bolted out of there as i was creeping up through some of the understory i could see so basically seeing some deer legs coming through. So I paused, you know, taking on my binoculars, just kind of watching as, you know, in that process, I ended up not being able to see the deer anymore. So ultimately there was a little bit of a dip and a big deadfall in between me and the deer. So set it out, waited a couple minutes and then proceeded to creep up a little bit further. I made it probably about another 15 yards or so. And from there, you know, I'm assuming that the deer either caught my movement or uh, did hear me because I wasn't able to be perfectly quiet, of course. And 
saw the deer get up, kind of circle around, and kind of move up uh, the other side of the hill, just on the other side of the cover. You know, again, they didn't blow, they didn't make, they didn't bust out completely. They just certainly were, uh, you know, unsure of what was making that noise coming towards them. Again, waited another couple minutes, and then proceeded to, you know, head in there to where. That deer was basically i wanted to see exactly what that looked like underneath that cover to see what it was that they were attracted to why that deer was there moved up a little bit further probably about another 10 15 yards and next thing i know another deer come bumps up or jumps up i don't know if it really was laying down but i just caught the movement as it you know definitely started to move with haste it was a much bigger deer I couldn't necessarily see the the full rack, but I could tell it was a big, heavy framed, um, you know, antlers on top of his head, and it looked like a big, you know, a good size uh, body on the deer. It ended up moving uh, basically up the hill and then over the the next little knoll to where I couldn't see it anymore. So it certainly looked encouraging that you know those that those deer or that buck was certainly up in there. I'm suspecting it's the big eight pointer that I've been kind of watching in the area. Uh, but again, I'm not hundred percent sure because I didn't get the best to look at them from there. You know, again, kind of sat there, gave it a minute or two, pulled out my phone, looking at the map and basically looking at that, you know, that little knoll kind of circles back around you know, there's a bull and then there's a little valley off to the one side thinking that maybe if that deer, uh, you know, tries circling back around or tries circling downwind of, uh, whatever it thinks it's that spooked it, you know, that may be, you know, potential shot opportunity for, uh, you know, the capitalize on that. So, cause again, that deer, it didn't, you know, it didn't bolt out of there. It just kind of, knew that it needed to kind of create some space so checked out the little area down where that where those deer were found a few rubs didn't see anything significant that, that was definitely like yep they were bedded here but there was significant buck sign in that area proceeded to move a little bit further again heading downwind from where i was hoping that maybe i might catch that deer um, as he, if he tries to circle back and try to catch the wind or whatever it was that spooked it. Uh, as I proceeded to do that, about another 50 yards from there, or from from where you know I spooked the deer from, end up finding a, a small scrape or a couple small scrapes that are kind of um, together just on the on the back side of that cover area. Again, pull out my phone to you know document that I found the scrape there uh, on my mapping and. You know, after I, you know, got it into my phone, I was just kind of kneeling there, kind of squatted down and just kind of sitting there listening um, to see if I could hear any movement. And as I was sitting there just thinking, you know, it just kind of dawned on me that where I was at, I wasn't necessarily propped up against a tree or tucked in a cover. I was just kind of like in this little, little tiny, like three to four foot patch of open. And, you know, I just sat there and all of a sudden realized that, you know, maybe I should get behind some cup of cover. I feel kind of exposed or kind of, you know, like I'm sticking out like a sore thumb here and ended up, you know, grabbed my bow. And as I went to move to get behind a big maple tree, I hear, you know, up, you know, basically up on the hill uh, above me, uh, a deer taking off. 
I look up and it must have been that second or that first deer that spooked out. He must have already done that maneuver of kind of on the hill, creating some distance in space, and then was waiting to see what ended up spooking it as he was standing downwind of where he was originally. He blew out of there. I guess he didn't blow, but he, he took off out of there. Having seen me, it was definitely much more of a significant encounter where that deer definitely was getting out of there with some significant haste and proceeded to go up up the hill and then down over the backside down into that next valley. So, and again, that kind of plays into that, that, that higher risk factor of, you know, doing that type of thing where, you know, that first deer, when he spooked the first time, he didn't completely get out of the area. When he spooked that second time, that's when he definitely bugged out of there with, um, you know, with some vigor and, uh, was not going to stick around, um, to be pressured anymore. So it's one of those things that, you know, if I had maybe a little bit more experience or, you know, I, you know, I really chalk it up to that where just the experience of not having been in that area or know exactly the terrain all that well up there, as well as not having, you know, significant encounters with deer, uh, doing that still hunting style or working in there on the ground, uh, with my bow, you know, it is one of those things that if I had, you know, a rifle, then I probably would have potentially been able to capitalize on both those deer and harvest them. The bow again is much more difficult. You gotta, you gotta get them in range to be able to do that. And they got to hold still for you. So it's one of those things that yes, did I bugger up that area a little bit when it came to both those deer bug, you know, getting bumped. Yes. But now the intel that I've gathered from that encounter far outweighs the, the negativity or the negative encounter that I had with them. Uh, you know, I fully believe that those deer are going to continue to go up on top of that ridge. They are more likely going to stay in that little bowl where I first encountered them. But now I get to have the opportunity where I can again, get down into that funnel of movement. So being down at the base of the hill, you know, that's a pretty tight area of movement, but it's not perfect. There's multiple trails that go up on top of that hill and they can even come from, you know, basically out of range to get up there. They can take one of those other trails or you can come from a completely different direction. From there, you know, if I really, if I really wanted to play it safe, I'd go further out to the field edge and on that. Certainly viable. I know that those deer are going to be out in that field at some point, but that funnel of movement or that uh, area to be able to cover becomes far greater where there's a far more likelihood that they are going to get too far out of range or not even come within range at all or they'll be so far out that I won't even see that they you know did make that movement and and just completely miss out on them altogether you know it's kind of like I always think about it in that regard you know when it comes to like turkey hunting where you know you want to push in as close as you can to those roosting spots because once they once they're down on the ground then that potential for them to go whichever direction or you that fan out from that area uh, is greater so you want to get in as close as you can to limit that amount of movement that they can make um, and have them you know basically make sure that they're in range for as much as possible or 
that the likelihood of them you know crossing your path or being within range is far greater i'm looking at it in that same manner where uh you know now that i've kind of gone a little bit deeper yet into that area you know now i know that you know especially when it comes to morning i could push even further into there you know get up on that top of that hill and potentially set up where you know if i were to stay down the bottom of the hill there's a good likelihood that they're going to come through uh, before dark or i might miss them now that i'm further back where that funnel of movement is smaller there's a much higher chance that i'm going to catch them during daylight you know catch them where they're still just milling around and you know as they're getting ready for the better if they bed down i can at least be maybe in the area where i might be able to call to them and force them to come over to me you know by peaking their interest you know, I think that I have a far greater potential for that to for that to happen uh, than if I were down below and only getting just a you know a small window of their movement coming through. Again, I've started out the season very much in favor of going that route, just sticking into those those transition areas and just catching them as they go through. Again, very safe ways to do about it. Far less likely to spook the deer. You know, basically they're they're cruising through and then they're moving out of the area. So, you know, if it was an area that I wanted to make sure that I could do multiple hunts in, uh, without you know running the risk of you know the deer feeling that hunting pressure or overhunting the area, you know, that's one thing I would focus on. But again, being more aggressive and trying to push in to get closer to where they're going to spend more of their potential daylight movement in is i think going to be worth the risk for me now things are going to get kind of interesting now that we're getting into the rut time frame you know i don't know what that transition is going to do in regards to are they going to be spending much time up in there or are they being going to be cruising more on the bottom you know that is for me to you know kind of keep up with the intel and basically kind of you know kind of see how things go with that one thing I have noticed too, at uh, the other spot where I've had those two encounters, uh, where the where the buck spooked, um, you know, on, basically on closer to home, I have noticed at least from when I pulled the card from the camera that up until this point, or up until I guess this week, a lot of the deer movement was, uh, or at least especially the buck movement was during the morning hours so i was seeing a lot more trail camera pictures of the deer you know going in front of the camera in the morning basically this past week that seems to have flip-flopped it's a lot of more movement during the evening than it has in the morning so that's something i'm going to take in consideration with that spot as well is you know i've hunted what three or four sits now in the morning and you know, I could certainly continue to hunt the mornings in that location, but now some of the intel is suggesting that a lot more of the deer movement is happening during the evening. So I may make that switch to an evening sit there, uh, just seeing that higher influx of deer movement. You know, again, hedging my bets a little bit more to the likelihood of you know catching that movement while in while on the stand. Because really, so far this season. You know, by making the moves I have, hunting the locations I have, you know, it really comes down to, you know, again, doing a lot of that 
that off-season scouting, making sure that you've got spots that you know make sense that there's going to be deer movement or that you're going to have uh, you know the potential for deer movement. Again, you could scout a spot and have you know be an absolute bust and nothing there, or you know focus in on those ones that are giving that good intel. From there, you know by taking your camera intel if you're running cameras or just your observation. Uh, you know, sits or your hunts there is not being afraid to make a move where if you see that, you know, you may be in the right spot or if you're, uh, you need to adjust in regards to your stand location. Again, that's one nice thing about having uh, some form of mobile setup, whether you have a portable, portable tree stand or if you go the saddle route, being mobile to be able to make those adjustments, uh, you know, even on the fly when it comes to, you know, an individual hunt, you know, if you're in an area where you, you know, you feel like you're not in the right tree, you need to move over 20, 30 yards, you know, with a mobile setup, you can do that relatively easily, make that switch and not completely bugger up the hunt. The other thing is taking that Intel and, you know, either making a move. So kind of like what, with the, the first example I gave about the buck that, you know, spooked and now seems to be circling around a little bit further. You know, basically I'm looking at, you know, that another tree that gives me a shot opportunity at that, um, at that trail that that deer end up using this time. Or even what I kind of looked at, you know, before this sit is actually moving completely to another area. It was probably a good 60, well, I guess, probably a good 70, 80 yards from where I was originally where it's going to put me in a position where it's more up on the hilltop instead of down into the bowl itself. I can still shoot that main trail that the, that, that scrape is on. I could still shoot that trail that the uh, buck went down the first time. And I could potentially shoot any trails that if they go up on top of the hill, trying to avoid that, that hole that I could still have a shot opportunity. The downfall is, is it, it does make those shots a little bit further and being up there it's a little bit more exposed so you know it's got to be one of those things where you got to really pinpoint which tree you want and really kind of hide behind that tree or hide in that tree as best you can because uh, it is going to be a little bit more uh, mature you know mature timber in there uh, a lot more mature pine where you're just gonna, not going to have some of the understory or the branch cover uh, that you would need to be able to hide in that tree so that's certainly, or that's one thing that I'm going to look at too. So I'm not sure if I'm really going to make that move uh, or many more moves as we get towards the rut. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about doing at least one more hunt in that area to try to catch up with that buck. You know, again, I'm hoping that as we progress into uh, close to the rut that he's going to start getting a little bit more lackadaisy and, you know, not as cautious as he has been. The other thing is, again, is for next year scouting that area even more so looking at some of those other potential trails you know really pinpointing the the, the exact spot where i'm going to get you know the maximum number of potential shot opportunities so make you know kind of giving up again giving up ground where you know i'm not going to be you know making that 10 to 20 yard shot it's going to be more like a you know 20 to 30 or 35 yard shot and then also, you know, basically with that, trying to make sure I'm in a tree where I can still see it, have concealment, hide my movement as much as, much as possible. 
and yet still be able to anticipate a buck if he is being cautious or you know being a being a buck and being somewhat unpredictable again we're looking at halloween weekend or we're looking at halloween it's just a few days away and then we're going to be into into november you know again gonna hunt the spot by my house here try to get that big wide buck try for him one more time before uh, the rut really kicks off gonna head up to the hills to try to push into that bedding area try to capitalize on that buck boom it again before november really kicks off and then that first full week of november i'm going to be spending uh, basically almost every day down on my private piece you know i have historic movement of the biggest bucks that show up on the property every year you know again that property is you know still designated more so as a rut property uh, one of the main bucks that I'm targeting that I've been targeting for several years now, you know, he is consistently showing up on November 7th. So from there, basically, I'm looking at the three days before and the three days after. In that time frame, I'm I'm going to be at the farm almost every day uh, during that window to capitalize on if that buck still maintains that pattern and that historical movement to uh, being on the property there. So I'm basically kind of throwing all my chips in for the rut on that property you know right now it looks like it's going to be some interesting weather and it's just going to be just making sure i've got all my gear prepped and ready to go and plenty of warm clothing to sit for those long you know all day sits so just to kind of circle back around again you know i understand that you know a lot of these moves i've been making you know have been potentially making it harder for myself to be able to uh, catch on that natural pattern movement of those deer or at least of those bucks I've been going after the part of it is that too is I think that their pattern is I you know I don't have them, really have them pattern all that well I know the general area where they are but I still can't figure out you know if they're you know how they're going to move on a particular wind or a particular time of day or you know if it rains and then we have high pressure you know I don't have that part figured out yet. So what I have to do now is try to, uh, you know, basically hedge my bet as to, you know, again, narrowing down that funnel to start to limit some variables in regards to uh, being able to get on these deer. So for this year, you know, having these encounters, having spooked these deer like I have, you know, it, it could be, you know, at a detriment for the long term where at least for this season anyway so these deer are starting to get those uh you know you know that negative reinforcement that hey this is not a safe area hey look there's someone pushing there's someone in here again it comes down to just really focusing on you know how bad of a uh or how badly you spook them and trying to make a play on that and understanding that you know those tendencies of those deer you know they're going to react to stimuli and you just kind of try to anticipate what that boom is going to be similar to like the the story i already told where you know think that maybe those deer are going to try to circle downwind and you know catch whatever it was that they're trying to figure out what it was that spooked them you know again if i had some more experience or you know better understanding of how to handle that i might have been able to capitalize and actually harvested a buck instead of having them spook that second time. 
but again maybe that you know having those encounters is going to make it harder for me uh going forward for this season but again that knowledge that i gained doing those activities or doing those types of things scouting the way i have in season and pushing the limit of you know not just thinking that those deer are in there but actually going in there and confirming that they are you know now for especially for even next year or for you know future situations i have you know kind of those experiences in my back pocket now to be able to you know look at the map and you know see those areas like okay yeah you know these other areas you know in this spot these deer like this area for this reason now i can look at this other spot here like hey there's a good likelihood that they were going like this spot because of that same reason again going in there hunt it start to see the deer movement understand a little bit better make your moves and adjustments and that's why i consider this more of uh, what i would consider again that more of that active hunting where you're not just going to just rely on that you know that stationary spot and you know again tried and true you know time is on your side where if you sit there enough times a deer is going to make that mistake and give you that shot opportunity again part of it might be that i'm just not that patient or i'm at the point now where i just want to understand a little bit better of uh, those situations and why i'm not picking the spots where those deer are going to be consistently coming through like i think they should be so that's why i'm going out and trying to make things happen or try to uh, get to a spot where you know I, I do have more confidence where yeah this is definitely where those deer are this is their core area not just part of their home range they're going to be you know on their feet more so during daylight give me that more potential for a shot opportunity if i'm here hunting so we'll see how it goes for the for this next week again gonna kind of do my hail mary on some of these um, public land spots of trying to get one of these deer before the rut fully kicks off and then i transition my focus to the private piece spend the week on that private partial and then from there we're looking at opening day for rifle season and then gonna have the first two days of opener and then i make my trip out with my buddy Dwayne out to south dakota for him to go out and hunt white tail out there and then we'll be back for thanksgiving and then we'll be doing our annual uh thanksgiving uh or day after thanksgiving drive so uh the next month is going to be cram packed with hunting and i hope that i'm able to you know capitalize on some of these bucks you know again i've had more encounters with uh bucks that would be potentially the biggest i've ever uh hunted this year and i hold that a lot to the you know some of the moves i've been making being more aggressive and trying to make it happen instead of just hoping that it'll happen essentially you know it's one of those things that you know at some point i would probably have you know scouted those areas in the off season anyways but nothing can be i think intel getting or that you get during in-season scouting and making those physical observations in the season but that's it for this episode again if you like this episode make sure that you hit that like button if you're not subscribed to the show already make sure you don't miss out and subscribe that way you get all the episodes when they release and again if you're looking for a little bit more head on over to mihuntingpodcast.com check out the website and if you want to support the show directly make sure you become a member or sign up for our monthly newsletter 
All right, and with that, as always, get out there, be safe, and have fun.